You're listening to the Bear Down Chicago Podcast with Logan Bradley, Ryan Dangle, Patrick Sheldon, Brendan Chagru, and Jack Wright. The Bear Down Chicago Podcast. Yeah, we're that Bears podcast. All right, folks, welcome into another edition of the Bear Down Chicago Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Dangle. Now, if you want to find me on Twitter, some people call it X, but I won't. Uh, you can hit me at Ryan Dangle. That's D-E-N-G-E-L. Hey, we're still very good friends, and he's here on the pod with me. It's Jack Wright. If you want to find Jack on Twitter, it's at Bear Down Jack. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a Bears Victory Tuesday, Ryan. Let's go. I I am you know what I'm excited about that I mean it I truly am but I I think I'm more excited by the fact that is Patrick Sheldon is here if you want to find Patrick on Twitter you can hit him at p underscore shells hi Twitter hi hi Twitter <laughs> okay full disclosure last three nights infant not sleeping so that's yeah. where that is at Sheldon hi what's hi, going on guys I uh, hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving it's good seeing you all again. And and this adds to my excite excitement. See, wow, Whew, three, two, one. This adds to my excitement. Brendan Shagru is also here. We almost got a full house, folks. If you want to find that assistant editor of Bears Wire on Twitter, you get him at Brendan Shagru. That's S U G R U E. Hi, Brendan. How are you, dude? Honestly, I'm so pissed right now. So I'm fired up. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, we I like it. I'll, I'll peel back the curtain. Look, this isn't throwing anybody under the bus. It's it, technology sucks, but I I take pride in everything that I write. I love you know doing what I do for USA Today. And you ever just have something where you write it, you have everything's ready to go, and you just lose it, and it's gone into the ether. Just happened about 15 minutes before we started recording, so I'm I'm heated, but I'm excited because it, we are talking about a win at least. So there's that. When when we were in the old format, I think I lost like two podcasts and had to go through like the most sketchy sketchness to try to get them back. People don't know it, but yeah, I was staying up to like one or two o'clock in the morning. Like, yay, get it stuff done. So, Brendan, best of luck, dude. I hope it, I hope it goes well. No, nah, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys, we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about the win, but. My favorite holiday by far is Thanksgiving. Um, it is a time to sit around, usually watch bad football, which games weren't necessarily great, but you know, it was at least the Lions aren't the worst team in the league, like usual, and Dallas, you know. So uh let's go around. Let me hear Thanksgiving, what was going on, and maybe something that you're thankful for to get this episode started off on the right foot. So let's give Brennan a second to kind of stew. So we'll put him uh, towards the end. So let's go Jack, Shells, Brennan, and I'll finish up. Things that you are thankful for, boys. Well, as you know, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I love everything about it. Um, it doesn't have the stress of, of Christmas. It's not that I don't love Christmas. I do. But food, family, fun, friends, football. It's the greatest day. Uh, woke up and played 
a turkey bowl football game with my my two sons and my cuffew Nathan and um, I'm thankful I think about this most every year I'm thankful to have people uh, that I love and care for and giving with I mean just to to be able to go and and be with them on the day and uh, be in their presence and uh, share food and, and play some games like that it's simple but it means so much to me I'm so thankful for that well said. What about you, Shells? Uh, yeah, the usual. Uh, obviously, thankful for friends and family. and uh, But this year in particular, uh, thankful I got to spend Thanksgiving with my mom. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys know, but all my family's back up in New York, and I'm about 13 hours down south in South Carolina. So uh, the opportunities to spend holidays with the family are fewer and far between these days. So uh, she was able to make it down for the holiday, which was awesome. So um, thankful for that in particular, but uh, thankful for you knuckleheads and uh, that we get to come on here on uh, just about a weekly basis and uh, talk Bears football. And we've only got about, what, five more games? I was just counting quick. Five more games left in uh, the bye, and this season's over. And, uh, yeah, I'll miss it, but uh, I'm thankful that we we uh, we get to do this every week. Absolutely. Brandon, what about you, buddy? What am I thankful for? Well, before I get to that, I have a fun Thanksgiving story. It was good to see my brother and his uh, wife for Thanksgiving. He's moved a little further south, so it's harder to see him. Um, you know, and uh, we're close in age. We're two years apart. So um, it was great to ha- have him come up. And we watch football. He's getting into football the last few years. And we're watching uh, the Commanders-Cowboys game. <clears throat> Command- or the Cowboys have the ball, and he's like, Hey, I bet you uh, five bucks that the commanders are going to win this game. And I look at him. I was like, are you serious right now? He's like, yeah. And she, right after we made the bet, Dak Prescott throws a touchdown. And he, I just look at him. I was like, why would you make that? And he's like, I didn't know what they were going to do. I didn't know like the commanders were terrible. And so he actually, I told him, I was like, you don't have to pay me. It's only five bucks. But he's like, no, no, no. I, I made this bet. I have to do it. So um, just it, the, the fact that my brother wanted to bet on the commanders of all teams just was the funniest <laughs> thing ever. Uh, so that made for a, a very entertaining Thanksgiving, but, um, no, I'm, I'm very thankful. Uh, look, obviously the same thing, family, friends, um, you know, just having my siblings, my parents around. Um, and you know, I, I think just in, in my professional life and being with, um, you know, a wife who, uh, supports me and my goals, just, you know, making big strides this year. And, um, you know, I'm very, very thankful for that. Uh, so yeah, it was a, it was a good holiday, good break, um, until everything crashed, but that's whatever I'm done. I'm done talking about it. I'm done. No, no, dude, that's, uh, that, that's, <laughs> it's done. really cool. It's, uh, I, I think that's, it's really neat, you know, talk, talking about the, the wife, uh, my wife is walk, watching child number two so that, that I can hang out and talk bears with, some strangers on the internet as well as you guys. And so I think, yeah, we're very, very fortunate for that. Got to see my sister. My sister lives in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And so I don't get to see her very often and watching her as an aunt with my kids is especially fun, man. It's just, you know, I've, I've talked about this a couple times on the podcast. I was adopted um, and just, I don't know, seeing all that like kind of unfold and didn't think that she was going to be an aunt. I didn't know that I was going to be a dad. And so it's just, it's been, it's, it was really, really cool. So they're very thankful for that. Um, how about this? I know we, Brendan's got something in the works. He won't tell us, but he's got something in the works for Brendan's breakdown. But Jack, I think we got somebody we got to thank before we hear Brendan's breakdown. 
We do. We're always so thankful, especially Thanksgiving, the holidays. Everyone needs a haircut, so you got to go to SheridansBarbershop.com. You know it's located. It's actually kind of funny because my son needs a haircut, and then I just broke into this read, and he like was reciting it verbatim with me. Sheridan's Barbershop, located in historic town. We've been serving the community for 69 barbers, open six days a week, Monday through Saturday. They have appointments for you to book online or by phone at your convenience. Go to SheridansBarbershop.com, or you can call 630-668-0137. New location. You've heard about it. It's not just a rumor. It's not sus. It's legit. You should go. Tons of riz at that place. You want to be there. It's Hensel's Barbershop. It's located in downtown Naperville, Illinois. It's been open since 1966. They have six barbers there. Establishment is open Tuesday through Saturday. You can walk in, say, hey, what's up, Will? How you doing, bruh? Could I get a cut? I need a sweet fade. Or you can make an appointment. And you can go to Hensel'sBar.com, H-E-N-C-Z-E-L-S, Hensel'sBar.com. You can go to either place. Sheridan's or Hensel's because that's where traditional. If you guys do go into uh, to Hensel's or you go into Sheridan's, please let them know the guys of the Bear Down Chicago podcast say hello. We would appreciate it, and we know that those guys would appreciate it greatly. All right, so Brandon, I'm a little nervous. A uh, little, little nervous to see what's what's gonna what's gonna happen here, but I guess I'm also excited. Let's hear it, baby. All right, we go live to Minnesota. Where? Hold on. Wait, that's that's not that's not right. Hold on. We go live to Minnesota. Is the wait? That's no, that's not it either. Hold on. We go live to the Minnesota Vikings and Chicago Bears game. Where? No, that's not it either. Uh, all right, we're going to Minnesota. It, it, yeah, Minneapolis. And no, that's the wrong that's the wrong screen too. Hold on. Um we go live to which which one is which hold on. Wait, I Guys, there's I can't do the breakdown cuz there's too many screens. There's too <laughs> many screens. There's too many screens, guys. I can't Anyway, what you need to know is the Bears defense was phenomenal. And there was too many screens for me to do this breakdown. That's all I got. <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. Brennan for the win. Uh, I, I'll, I'll just say this. I think I tw- tweeted early that I was like, okay with it because that that's how you beat the every, everyone blitz. Right. It, and, but then that was like the first quarter and then 147 screens later we're, I'm I'm done. I'm done with that. Jack, what 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 were your your thoughts on that? You know, like would you have ever called basically every play at the line of scrimmage and one deep shot, or would you maybe I don't know shake it up a little bit? Definitely shake it up. I mean, we've got to give credit where credits due. Both teams had frenetic defenses, right? Like shifting, masking coverage, blitzing, knots, twists, eats, all types of stuff understood i just i don't know what luke Getzey gets in his head i just i don't understand and especially when it's so clearly obvious to the other team and everybody in the building 
we've talked about it. I th- didn't they do this week one too? Uh, and y- you can do something as simple as a, a wrinkle uh, where you run a bubble and go. I mean, you just do all the same, like EQ, EQ goes out and he goes to block the corner. Uh, Fields goes ahead and turns his shoulders. Uh, uh, DJ Moore goes ahead and runs his little bubble screen route. And then a count, two counts, and then EQ just goes straight up the sidelines. And you just turn your shoulders and you give a pump fake and then you rocket it deep. I mean, something, anything. The whole design, the whole point of being a great offensive-minded coach is to find out the ways that your opponent is overplaying you, to find out where your opponent has weaknesses. And when you find those two things, what's so fun about calling an offense is that you take advantage of those things. So how it is that he gets, I don't know where the tunnel vision comes from. I mean, I think we've talked about it throughout the course of the year. There's probably the most unpredictable guy on the staff at this point to have one game that just seemed to be so fluid with some pretty great rhythm. Um, I mean, is he just bad against good defenses? Is that what it is? They just can't call a good game against a good defense. You know what I think it is, Jack? I think I think he's overwhelmed. I don't think he does a good job of taking in the macro within the game. And, you know, I was thinking of an analogy today. My eight-year-old, when we'd go out and do batting practice, every hit, like I, I tell him, that's data, that's input, that's information that you need to digest and, and do something with, right? Like if you hit the ball to a certain area, what does that tell you about your swing? If you don't hit it right, start self-diagnosing what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong that resulted in that particular outcome. And I don't think Luke Getze does that within the game. He's got, cause he comes out every single week almost. And the first drive looks phenomenal. And you're like, here we go. This is great. And then he doesn't, he doesn't take that information, digest it and do something with it. He just goes, okay, on to the next play, on to the next play, on to the next play. Instead of looking at the first series or the first couple of series and, and go, Hey, uh, you know, this play worked here or it didn't work against this coverage. Or it may have, uh, we get this play against maybe this coverage later in the game. And then I want to use that. It's just like he gets like tunnel vision where he just has a script in mind. And I don't mean a script in terms of like the first 15 plays. Cause he executes those well, but just like a general framework of this is what the game's going to look like. We're going to go, heavy screen or we're going to go heavy run or we're going to do heavy this and it, it he doesn't evolve within the game and process the feedback that the other team is giving him and it's very frustrating because like you said everybody else in the building including apparently ryan poles uh, caught on camera looked a little bit frustrated but even like joe average football fan sitting on the couch is going like what are we doing? Like this, this isn't going to work. You have to change. And that's part of my frustration with Eberflus is you are the man in charge. If you don't like the way things are going, walk your happy ass down to Luke's office and go, Hey bud, what are we doing? Uh, maybe let's switch it up a little bit. We, we, this needs to get better. And week after week, we see the same issues with Luke Getze and week after week, we see a failure to, to correct them. Uh, and there has to be some accountability within the staff, and, and particularly Luke Getze. And, and I think that's a large reason why we see the breakdown as the game goes on in the offensive strategy. 
Look, it is inconsistent, and I'm with you, Ryan. Um, having seen the first drive and what they were doing, clearly they had the plan where they were going to combat Brian Flores' just insane pressure, and it was working. I mean, like we all see, we've we've said it for the last year and a half now. Luke Getzey's great at scripting plays. He does his homework during the week for those first 15, but like it's a chess match and it's a game of strategy. And once somebody changes and once Brian Flores started to keep court, you know, guys back and they kept trying to like, okay, they're going to spy the quarterback now and make sure he can't use those outsides anymore. That happened in the second quarter. Like there was one play in particular, I can't remember who, um, but they just stood up there. They could have had a pick six if they just, you know, timed it right. Uh, just cause they were right in position to bat the ball down at that exact moment, Luke Getze should have said, okay, they're figuring me out. Now we got to start you know, pushing the ball downfield a little bit more, showing those big uh, adjustments that you can now push those guys downfield because clearly the defenders are playing up. You did the work. They adjusted to you, and now something's open downfield, but you're not taking advantage of it because you're running not one, but not two, but three screens in a row. That is unheard of. In today's NFL, it's probably unheard of in 20 years ago, NFL. You just don't do something like that. A screen is – you just can't rely on that for the, the vast majority of your game plan. And to me, that it doesn't – Sheldon, it doesn't only tell me that Luke Getze, there's a failure to adjust. It also tells me in this particular instance, Brian Flores is in his bag. He, you know, he's like over him and he's ready to punch and Getze's like already flinching. You know? Yeah. The fact that he's just, you know, I'm going to stick to this plan because I know it works and I know it's going to keep our quarterback safe for the most part. And I know it's going to limit turnovers. That was coaching scared and coaching very, very conservative. And I mean, by hook and by crook, they got the win. But my goodness, it was it was just so hard to watch, especially when just everybody in the stadium knew it was coming. And the Vikings, more often than not, especially in the second half, were, were able to stop it. And I don't know if you guys heard Tim Jenkins on the score today. Anybody catch him? He was really good as usual. Uh, And he said something that underscored that point about Getze. He he didn't specifically say this, but to me, it underscored the point about Getze not adjusting. And he said a lot of those screens were run adjusts where Fields chose to throw the screen based on what he saw. He said what his problem was, though, was that Getze – didn't adjust his calls and continued to call screens after seeing fields adjust and throw the screen. So you kind of have to like be in the moment and go, okay, like I give fields these options to run or throw the screen. And now he's done this. So you know what I shouldn't call here is another screen. Like I should actually give him a different option. And he doesn't, he, he just doesn't adjust. He doesn't have the ability uh, to, to fluidly adjust as the game goes on. See, th- this is why I was I w- scratching my head when we had Tyler Aki on, which Tyler was phenomenal. Love that dude. I mean, him talking about being a, a big Luke Getze fan, I I don't understand that. He's so insanely inconsistent. Yeah. I feel like last week, 98% of that game, best best of his career, phenomenal game plan, right? Moving fields in the right way, allowing his athleticism to show. And then that last drive, handoff, handoff, deep shot, which I know that they talked a little bit about it, that he might've been able to get DJ Moore uh, kind of in the flats, but pushing that aside this week, that first drive was awesome. 
uh, I think Fields looked really confident. He was moving around despite the pressure being there. And then the rest of the game, you're like, dude, what are you like? What are you doing? This this is why like I think I, I, I'm gonna say something and Jack, call, calm yourself. I I hate Gatsy and Flus more than I hate Flus right now. Like the combination of the two of them is just, it's bad. It's a bad mix. It's a bad combination. If oh, I throw up a little in my mouth right now. Okay. If Don't they, if, if they brought back Flus next year, <laughs> sorry, you just got to give me a second here. If they brought back oh, Flus Please next year and, and and they and they they fired Getsy and brought in an actual offensive coordinator that adjusts his game plan to the talents of his quarterback. I'm not as mad, maybe. That's that that's about as good as I can give you, Jack. I mean, I'm not trying here, dude. That was difficult for me to say. Could you imagine if they had done what we had wanted and uh, hired an offensive-minded head coach, and that offensive-minded head coach had hired Flus as his D coordinator? Now we're cooking with gas. I mean, that would be pretty impressive. I don't know if there was ever be a situation where, you know, if they find somebody that is, is a strong offensive minded coach that they do some sort of like a, a co-head coach or something like that. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I obviously have a lot of thoughts on this, but I don't want to take uh, all the air out of the room on this particular topic. Unless that's where we're going. I mean, his def- his defense over the last two games and, I, I think my biggest criticism of his defense before these last two games was against decent to good offenses. He wasn't stopping anybody. Now, granted we saw the, the, the absolute collapse last week against the lions, but Minnesota Vikings, even with Josh Dobbs, were moving the football over the last couple of weeks. I'm not saying that they were, you know, that they were the, 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 I don't know the old St. Louis Rams, right. Of the nineties. Right. But, but they were an okay offense. And I mean, Josh Dobbs has never thrown four interceptions in his career, even in college and the bears. I mean, Flus's defense looked good. I, I feel gross saying this. Somebody else pop in so that I don't have to keep saying nice things about Matt Eberflus and his defense. Look, it's Maybe. true. It's, I mean, they've, He's adjusted. I thought he called a much better defense, both just like, well, not only the players playing better because they did. I mean, they were flying to the ball carrier, um, basically not allowing any yak at all, but just like the different schemes he did. I know a lot of people picked apart uh, putting Yannick Ngakwe and Montez Sweat on the same side as that punt um, stunt pick scheme. Uh, just really, <laughs> really making Josh Dobbs life hell right now. But it's also just the development of the players, too. I mean, look at what guys like Jervon Dexter is doing. TJ Edwards, obviously, he's been a stud. But Kyler Gordon, like these young guys are really starting to pick it up now. And you're seeing what this 4-3 defense actually does. If you get consistent pressure, the back end is going to make you pay. And, I mean, look at how many – I'm going to read off these, uh, these stats from PFF. Montez Sweat had seven pressures, two sacks. He had a 25% uh, 25 win percentage. Demarcus Walker, four pressures, three hits. Yannick Ngakwe, four pressures. Andrew Billings, three pressures, one hit. He had a massive, massive rep, too, where he just destroyed the uh, the center. I think it was uh, 
uh, Bradbury. I can't remember. Javon Dexter, two pressures, one hit, should have had a sack. Uh, Jaquan Brisker, two pressures, one sack. Justin Jones, TJ Edwards, Josh Blackwell, one hit each. And Kyler Gordon, one pressure. They were all over the freaking field and just, you know, bringing different, bringing pressure at all different ends of the field. This is what the defense does. And I thought just with the creativity and how he was able to make them uncomfortable, yeah, you got to give him credit. This is the first time that the Bears have had four takeaways in two straight games since the Super Bowl year in 2006. Like, that that doesn't happen by accident. It's the Chicago Bears of old. Really, think about yeah. it. It's 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 the thing that that we have grown to like hate about this team. Phenomenal, like lights out defense, a pretty good run game, but embarrassingly bad offense. I party like it's two thousand five, baby. Woo! <laughs> Jack, Jack, I really no, yeah. I, I really really want to know because you and I have had countless conversations about watching Josh Allen's watching Mahomes watching Mm -hmm. Jalen Hurts watching a 21st century offense and how much fun it is so I mean I like what do if if the rest of you know Flus's tenure looks like this where they have really great defense they eke out a couple victories but it's painful to watch an offense how do you feel about that well, I don't love it, but I also don't think that's the direction that they're headed. I mean, I think you've got two key elements right now that could change going forward. One is the offensive coordinator, uh, who I, I think will will likely be um, will likely be changed. You've got a slowly progressing offensive line. Um, you're missing, I think, one or two pieces on the offensive line. You've started to get some dynamic pass catchers, mainly one, DJ Moore. Um, you've got an upper tier level, uh, tight end, uh, who has a great, uh, catch rate, um, and has scored a lot of touchdowns. So, I mean, really in some ways, shape or form, it comes down to Justin Fields, uh, and his continued progression, uh, and development. Um, you know, I, I think we see a Fields who is good, not great still, um, we see a field two at the end of the game. And, and again, maybe this is Flores' defense, but I mean, here's the one thing I think we can say for a fact. He's inconsistent. Like it is not clearly obvious that Justin Fields from game to game to game is the type of player that we would want to rely on as a franchise changing quarterback. Now I, I'm, I'm good. If we stick with him, I, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to like to see him develop more, not out on him. Um, but I, I think Poles has a vision for the offense being more more dynamic. Uh, I think he's shown that he's willing to, through the draft and free agency, bring in more dynamic players. Um, he made a, a great pick with Darnell Wright. So he's he's begun. It just perhaps there's been more of a influence on the defensive side of the ball because of the head coach that you hired, uh, who's building uh, you know a really solid defense. Uh, and, and next up. On the list is Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, a better offensive line, and another year of experience for Justin Fields, or, uh, and I don't think this is the answer, uh, another quarterback that you think is going to bring that dynamic play to the offense. I, I, Again, I still think it's trending in the right direction. Um, you wouldn't know it based on last night's offense, obviously, because it was terrible. Terrible. No denying that. But but we've seen flashes of really great productive offensive games um i just it's right now it's not a constant upward arc like we talk about sometimes 
Um, but I, I just, again, I see it as a snowball effect of, of gaining more and more assets on both sides of the ball, uh, progressing, developing, and hopefully being there at some point. Here's here's what I don't understand is just how disconnected this all was. When Poles came in, he reportedly liked Justin Fields, right? And then he brings in a defensive-minded head coach, which is is okay. But then the defensive-minded head coach picks as his offensive coordinator someone who runs an offense that doesn't necessarily align with what Justin Fields does well. So th- that kind of should have been somewhat of a red flag to begin with is that if you believe in Justin Fields as the GM and the head coach, why are you hiring an offensive coordinator to implement a system predicated on a quarterback who stands in the pocket and throws quick, short passes, as opposed to a dynamic quarterback who likes to make plays and, and, and take the deep shot um, often, right? Like that's what he did at Ohio state. He was a big game hunter, like a lot like Caleb Williams. Right. So and now we're talking about bringing in Caleb Williams, right? So like, so we're going to bring in Caleb Williams now and we're going to have to develop an offense then if we do that, that we should have developed for Justin Fields. It's just all like, it's just so bearsy, you know, like that we would, we would spoil the talent that we have now and completely ruin Justin Fields and, and let him go and then go draft Caleb Williams for whom you'd have to build an almost identical offense. It's just... I don't know. It it just all reeks of incompetence from top to bottom. You make a great point. I mean, we it, we need a Todd Munkin. We don't need a Luke Getze who had an Aaron Rodgers right. or a Nathaniel Hackett, God forbid, who had an Aaron Rodgers. Um, yeah, I don't think we fit the the right coach to our players' strengths. And we see, uh, Brendan, your point was so great. We see what happens when you get a coach who coaches the 4-3 with players who can play the 4-3, and then what happens when the defense all starts to align and play such incredibly great football. And so, so you, I mean, it really is a great point, Shells. Now can we get that offensive coordinator who has that system that aligns with that player that then begins to really catapult itself at? Boy, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Or just has an offensive coordinator that can adjust, that has is yeah. more than a one-trick pony, that yeah. can say, this is what I've got this to work with, and this is what I'm going to develop um, to maximize what I've got. Like, that's all we – because the players are going to change. Like, you, you're not going to – you know what I mean? Like, you're going you're gonna to sort of be beholden to who's available in the draft that year, who's available in free agency that year, and you're going to have talent come in and, and, and leave every season – and so to like bring in a coach to say like this is who I've got right now this is the offense we're going to run you got to have somebody that can adapt because if you can adapt your scheme you can adapt game to game you can adapt within the game you're just adaptable right um I, I just I don't want I don't want a scheme guy anymore I want a coach I want a coach right like that's what a coach does I mean, you still need a system. You just need a, like you said, you just need a system that's adaptable that right. you can work with, you know, different personnel. Um, right. I, I mean, you know, Todd, you mentioned it. Todd Munkin is the perfect example because the Greg Roman led Ravens were decent. They, they were able to do some things. Lamar had some awesome seasons, but they were, they had a ceiling and it just wasn't working as effectively as it could have. You bring in somebody like Todd Munkin who, also, you know, can work with Lamar's strengths, keep him moving around the pocket, but also encourages him to throw down the field. And Lamar's been like a good passer before that when he's had opportunities, but now you're seeing it. 
And you're also also seeing the investment in the offense too for them. Where look, all of them haven't worked out. They have four first round wide receivers on the team right now. Um, but you keep taking those shots and you get those uh, talented playmakers and you get the right system in there. Somebody who's adaptable and yeah, you you finally see it happen. Um, so no, I'm with you. Maybe Jim Harbaugh can bring Greg Roman though. It would be it, it would be at least an a you know, an improvement over what we've seen, but we won't get into that. If there, if there was a new coach coming in and, and you're an offensive minded guy and you can hand this very talented defense off to a new defensive coordinator. Yeah. You know, Flus has proven that he's, he's, he seems to be a good defensive coordinator, but with the talent that they have acquired, you know, it, it, it might be awesome, you know, to, to, to have, to have some fresh voices, uh, just some kind of system boys. We've been, we've been scooting around this and I think I know where you all kind of stand in this, but I mean, this is really the, the big question I think over these, you know, the, the last seven games of the season and now these next five coming up and just really quick, I'm going to put these up here. Uh, have got the bye week this week. Then the lions are coming to town. Then the Bears are headed to Cleveland. After that, the Cardinals are coming in for a Christmas Eve game. And then on New Year's Eve, uh, facing off against the Falcons. And last, January 7th, against the Packers. Those are the last five games of the season for the Bears. Uh, but I've got a true-false for you boys. And I really tried to think about how to how to preface this question. It's it Basically, it's the same thing that we've been talking about for a while. I came away with this, you know... Uh, not not having a great answer for this, but I'm not the one making the decision. Ryan Poles is making the decision. So for this one, true or false, Ryan Poles has made his determination on whether or not to sign Justin Fields uh, to a contract for next season, whether that be long-term or not. I don't know, boys, that's up, but I just think at this point, has he made his determination? Let's go, Jack, Shells, Brendan, and I will finish it up. Boy, I'm going to say true, and I'm going to say it's all in the bro hug. We saw it yesterday, man. Boy, that was a happy embrace, wasn't it? I think maybe Shells, you tweeted it. I mean, it certainly looked like, or maybe it was Illwell, who was like, hey, say what you want about what you think is going to happen to Justin Fields, but like that embrace tells you everything you need to know. Maybe that's reading too much into the tea leaves. Again, I, I think that Poles is a steady as she goes type of general manager. I think Fields comes back. I think Flus comes back. I think there's a good chance that Getze gets moved. I think he continues to uh, acquire talent via the draft and free agency. A curious question that I might ask in return is, does he still draft a quarterback high, bring in two quarterbacks and let them compete and find out who the best one is? Um We've seen teams do that before. Uh, I don't think it's a terrible idea because the only way to get your franchise quarterback is to continue to draft quarterbacks. Um, you know, the Tyler Bajans of the world, that's fine for depth and like a, a potential Brock Purdy situation, but um, we, we've seen it. We just don't know where a great quarterback comes from. There's been 50 different quarterbacks that have started in the NFL this year. There's a lot of bad quarterback play. So why not have another quarterback that could potentially compete and potentially be that franchise quarterback? So I think even if he has made up his mind and I'm saying true that he is going to resign him, I still think there's, there's lots of options. It's maybe draft Marvin Harrison uh, or D line, and then maybe another quarterback high somewhere. You got lots of picks. You got some nice options. He set us up pretty choicely. 
so I think true. I think I think he's made up his mind. Uh, and I say that because if if you're a general manager, you got to evaluate the entire body of work. If you're making a decision based solely on like seven games, um, regardless of the outcome of those, I, I don't know that that's wise. And I also don't think that the coaching staff is doing anything to uh, enable polls to evaluate fields honestly over these last seven games. I mean, that's been my biggest beef the last two games is that this that should be the number one goal for the rest of the season or should have been going back two weeks. As soon as fields came back, this is a lost season. Nothing matters other than going into the offseason knowing whether fields is your guy. And they haven't done anything to to put him in a position to see if that's the case. Like averaging 0.8 air yards for three quarters does not do anything to help me evaluate whether Justin Fields can play the quarterback position long-term. It just doesn't. And, and so if I'm Ryan Poles, like what, what else, what am I getting out of the next five games that I haven't gotten already? Right. Like unless they put him in a position to, to see what he's got. um, I don't think, I don't think these next five games are going to tell us a whole lot, uh, you know, but the way they've been playing him. So true. I do think he's made the decision. Now what the decision is, I go back and forth on this a lot. Um, And, and, like even today, I think I flipped and I was like, oh, he's, he's keeping fields. And then I was like, the pressure of not selecting Caleb Williams may be too much for a young GM, right? Like if he keeps Justin Fields and Williams is a stud, he'll never live that down. If he drafts Caleb Williams and he flops, people I think be a little bit more likely to forgive that decision because Caleb Williams is you know, whether you agree or disagree, he's being touted as a generational guy. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that he is. I think he's very talented. I think we overuse the term generational a lot, but it might, it might be the pressure that may be too much for polls to, to, to pass up. Guys are nuts. I want to go all Stephen A. Smith on you and just be like, Jack Wright. We're really talking about analyzing a bro hug and we're analyzing fist bumps like bears twitter is a very special place i'm sorry but like people who are just like you know that's not that's a guy who's keeping his quarterback you don't hug a guy like that let me tell you guys a story okay and i'm I'm not saying first off my true false is false i don't think ryan poles has made his determination yet i'll get to that in a second let me tell you guys a story December 2012, uh, the Bears just beat the Lions, right, to get to 10 wins, Lovey Smith's last game as Bears head coach. And the story goes, I remember reading, Phil Emery walks into the locker room. He is high-fiving. He's smiling. He is happy as all can be. The Bears got a 10-win season. They just need the Packers to beat the Vikings to get in the playoffs. Of course, that doesn't happen. And then the next day, he fires his ass. Doesn't mean anything. Okay, especially now. I I think Ryan Poles has respect for Justin Fields. He respects him as a player, or certainly respects him as a man and as a leader. But there is still, there's not only so much season to go, but there is so much offseason to go. The first time that the Bears really need to make a decision on Justin Fields is after the draft, I believe, is when you make the decision to pick up the fifth year option or not. 
Between then, you have to determine not only these five next five games, what are you going to do with the offensive staff? Are you going to fire Matt Eberflus? Are you going to fire Luke Getze? Maybe some of those decisions have been made, but if you are firing somebody, who are you going to bring in? Do they want to bring in Justin Fields? How about the quarterbacks in the draft? You haven't talked to them yet. You still have to go through your full evaluation. And speaking of the draft, this season isn't over. As much as we think that the Bears are going to get the number one overall pick and maybe have two top five picks, it is not a certainty yet. We're getting close because Carolina continues to suck and the Bears still continue to suck even after getting this win. But that margin for error, at least if you're rooting for losses, is getting very thin. And now that the Panthers have an interim head coach, you usually see a little – I'll call them rally wins uh, for guys that are, you know, uh, really trying to energize the locker room. We see it all the time. So there's a lot that needs to needs to happen first and a lot of conversations that need to be had. So um, it goes beyond just like the next five games. It goes to the coaches, the draft position, actually talking to these quarterbacks and getting that just path in front of you to see how you can build this team forward. So I am saying false. And I just I, I'm sorry. I think the bro hug is cool. It's great to see, but Brendan, what are we doing evaluating all that? Come on. It was a bit tongue in It was tongue in cheek. You know me better than that. Yeah, I hope so, Jack, because a lot of people are going at it. (laughs) Do you not remember the naggy hug on the sidelines with Fields? He's holding on to Fields, and Fields gave him like the couple quick taps with the fist in the back, like, let go of me, dude. (laughs) (laughs) You don't remember that? Don't underestimate, power, don't underestimate the power of a hug, Shagru. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, I, I might get some. I, I feel bad for Carolina fans, not, not not the organization, but I feel bad for the fans because as bad of a situation as we were in last year and even this year, <laughs> there's there's no light at the end of that tunnel in any way, shape or form. Oh, you might get the first overall pick. Just kidding. It's going to go to the Chicago bears, right? Like even if they win a couple more games, whatever, top two, top three gone, like, and Bryce young, he might be okay, but he's not CJ Stroud. And man, I think we know a little something, something about giving up a lot to draft the wrong quarterback. Right? Oh no, no, no! Uh, they, they we gave up a little. They gave up like the fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's gonna be nice to not have to hear about that one for a little while. Um, I, I'm I'm with Brennan on this one. I I don't think he's made his determination yet. Justin has just been so inconsistent. I mean, we you see it every every week. There's flashes of brilliance, of absolute brilliance, and just playmaking ability. He 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 can be so good. And he has two fumbles on two drives back to back, right? That that could have ended the game. You know, I almost in our group thread again texted, "Here comes another Justin Fields turnover, like on a drive that 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 could be a game win." And I didn't, right? Because Brendan is going to get really mad at me and maybe not talk to me anymore and maybe not be my friend anymore. Uh, but it, it happened. It, it 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 happened. You know, I would say that's partially Brian Flores's defense. I mean, you look like the way in po- the position in which he's holding the football, he's not like holding it like a loaf of bread. He's not out and about like he, Brian Flores, guys made a good play in the ball. But yet again, when the game is on the line, Justin Fields turns the ball over. Now he gets another opportunity and makes Jack and I were talking about this today. Just a just a perfect throw to DJ Moore. Just absolute gorgeous, gorgeous pass 
in a, in a high pressure situation. So I think the thing that I'm most frustrated about is like thinking about this is I, I, I don't know. Now, obviously I'm not making the decision Ryan Poles is, but I still don't know. I don't know if this is, if this is the guy long-term and I would like to know at this point, I feel like I was asking this question with Jay Cutler. I was asking this question with Mitch Trubisky. I've asked this question a lot. And, and part of me then leans to say, he's not the guy because then shouldn't we know at this point of his career? Yeah. And so in my uh, takeaways that are lost to the ether, um, I wrote in there, Justin Fields provided more questions than answers after this game, because yeah, he had the just crucial fumbles and okay. One of them happens. All right, fine. Take care of the football. Now, you know that. And he even said, he's like, yeah, I was telling Roshan Johnson to take care of the football because he fumbled. And then two plays later I did it. So he's like, I got no room to talk. But then the second one, after the fact that you knew that this was happening, it's just inexcusable. He, but then you talk about that big throw. He dug himself a hole and climbed out of it. Like you just kind of like, you know, went around in a circle here and you've left feeling that game like, okay, he did. He finally had that big fourth quarter moment, but it was after he just <laughs> had two terrible moments. And do you really feel better about that? And so you're right, like, Ryan, when you're talking about you want to just feel definitive about the guy, um, especially in a moment like a situation like that, there's just more questions than answers at this point. Does, is anybody just a, like the least bit curious of what if, if the flashes of brilliance will become more consistent if he was in an offense that called plays that he liked, that he was comfortable with, that he that fit his skill set? Like maybe the flashes of brilliance are because – that play or that that moment aligns with things that he does well or things that he likes or plays that he likes or concepts that he likes you know this is uh, i'm i'm gonna give i'm gonna give um i'm gonna give Matty Reflu some credit here uh because <laughs> jack told me i'm not objective Jack told me I'm not objective today. I'm gonna, objective. Hard. Damn, I'm gonna be objective whether you like it or not, Jack. Uh, Jaquan Brisker talked about how Floose does listen to his players and and adjust calls sometimes based on what they want to do and takes their input. Um, a completely novel concept, something that that he may want to run down the hall again and tell Luke Getzey to adopt. Um, but like imagine. If, if Fields was in that position, would the flashes be more consistent? That's the part that's going to eat at me forever if Fields goes someplace else and he ends up with a Todd Munkin or a Greg Roman or somebody who looks at him and goes, this is a unicorn. I'm not going to put him in the stable. I'm going to let him fly, baby. Well, Shells, that's the thing that I've been thinking about a lot too is that I'd like to see Andrew Janoko get the play calling, not because he's got the tremendous jaw that he has, right? <laughs> Which we all know that it's there. Um, and just in case you're you're watching the show right now. <laughs> you just there it is. putting that picture on there. You're <laughs> damn right I do. The Bears, the Bears don't fire coaches in season, but I, I want to know what would Justin Fields look like with somebody else calling the plays, right? Now – I get that we we saw him with Matt Nagy. We we saw those, but 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 that's that's like we're talking like almost three years ago now at this point. I want to see what somebody else calling him and and generally speaking, when you fire an offensive coordinator the following weeks, 
you tend to see a big bump in in numbers. I mean, look 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 at what happened with the Bills. You know what I mean? Like it it it's it's happened a lot, and so. I would like to see him, and I think that would give us a slightly better determination to know, is he the guy moving forward? Is this the guy that you pick up the fifth-year option and you and you go with something? I'm curious if – so despite what we think about the coaching staff or the situation, there, there are certain guys on the team that we have enough um, body of work that we can say, you know, maybe you saw my tears, you know, yesterday that these guys are going forward, going to be like, playmakers no doubt i mean tj edwards has balled out all year long Mm -hmm. darnell wright has been excellent um we can clearly see that montez sweat is good right so there are certain guys that we can evaluate and we can say doesn't matter what the broth looks like (laughs) they are great players is that something that you cannot do for quarterback in other words if like to your point ryan if we don't know yet then maybe he's not the guy do you understand what I'm saying? Can we apply that same kind of litmus test to our quarterback as we do to those other players in positions or is quarterback a different scenario in which we need to see him with what? a different broth to know if he's any good? Or do we just know that he's not elite because it doesn't seem to matter. He can't elevate his play consistently to a point where we go franchise quarterback. No doubt about it. Is my I, question clear? Yeah, no, it makes a lot right. of sense. The, the only thing that I'm thinking right off the top of my head is, I mean, he's got to go with the plays that are called, right? Do you know what I'm saying? And if his coach doesn't let him throw the ball anywhere except right at the line of scrimmage, yeah. then then that's the only caveat that I say, Jack. I think your point is a really, really good point. And a lot of those guys, you're right. It doesn't matter the scheme that they're going to rise above, but I – I think he's he's hamstrung in a way that that those other guys that you mentioned are not. Yeah, but Jack. Well, I was Sorry. just gonna say you you, you said earlier, Jack. You said like you're starting to see the fruits of of the defense because they got guys that can play the four three and they're now playing the four three. <laughs> like, sure. I yeah. mean, scheme matters, right? right? And if you look on offense, like. DJ Moore is is a stud no matter where he goes, and and the offensive line, you know polls started drafting and signing free agents that we talked about it a couple, you know, our last off season, how he was building the offensive line in a different mold, getting rid of shedding the, the bigger, heavier, you know, trucks and getting some more agile offensive linemen in because that's the scheme you want to run. So like, yeah, you need to, it's, it's important. Like the transcendent quarterbacks that can transcend scheme and, and crap teams and all that. They are so few and far between. That's why, like, when I hear Caleb Williams is a generational talent, that's why I take issue with that. Like, I don't think he's the kind of guy that would come in and transcend any scheme and just, oh, he's just plug and play. You got to, for 99% of the quarterbacks, you have to put them in a good situation that accentuates their talents and their skill set. Otherwise, like, it's going to be a mess. And I, and I don't think, and I agree. I want. I, I would love to see Janoko get a, a shot at at calling plays. But this is my fear about staff being in self preservation mode and just trying to hang on for dear life and win as many games as they can down the stretch. Because maybe two more wins with the McCaskies goes a long way and saves their job. I mean, gosh, can you imagine if they ended up beating the Packers on the last week of the season and knocked them out of the playoffs somehow? I mean, McCaskey would would have like. And he'd have to call a doctor to to suppress the you know what, uh, and he probably signed Flus to a lifetime contract. So like, you know, 
when you've got a staff that's just trying to grind out a win or two in the hopes of saving their job, are they going to be likely to, to make those kinds of decisions that maybe are better for the, for the organization long-term, but not good for them long-term? Uh, I, I don't think so. And it, it sucks to see, but I don't know that we're going to get a whole lot more out of the rest of the season in terms of evaluating Justin Fields if they continue down this path. I have a quick question. Are we are we discounting the the possibility that Fields may have had a big hand or maybe just, you know, a significant hand in the play call and play design, knowing what happened the last time they played Minnesota? Maybe Luke Getzey and him did talk through and say, hey, you know, what can we do here to combat this pressure? And they're both thinking screens because they do have a yak monster in DJ Moore. They have one of the better wide uh, blocking wide receivers. I'm just saying – like obviously the point stands that the scheme is not working. And a lot of those play calls uh, just didn't the offense, no favors once the defense, once the defense adjusted, but knowing that fields did check out of out fields, checked out of a lot of those uh, runs to try and get those quick passes. I don't know. I'm just thinking like, you know, he, he seemed kind of on board when they did the post game interview on ESPN 1000 when I was driving back. Um, he was like, yeah, like we knew they were going to bring a pressure, bring a lot of pressure. So we wanted to combat that with all those screen passes. That's why you saw that. And obviously he's, you know, not going to say, yeah, it was crap or, you know, trash his coach or anything. But are we discounting that possibility that maybe he did have a hand in it, especially considering this was the team I that mean, he got hurt on? If you heard Cam Newton, uh, Cam Newton's interview, I, I would say probably not, um, doesn't sound did you guys all watch that because I did. brandon yeah. marshall yeah. brandon marshall uh and and cam newton what an awesome pair to have this exact conversation and i think you know they got to say some things that justin can't say so that was it was really i mean did, i don't think there's anyone on the planet unless like you're a total meatball that's gonna deny justin field's arm talent his athleticism like the ability to to do the things on the field that, that make a great quarterback. It's just, it's putting all those things together, right? I mean, that's really what we're talking about. Boys, let's move on. Let's chat. I want to throw one out there before. Uh, yeah. So for all of you laugh. audio only listeners, um, uh, YGK, Youngie, uh, Kim, you four are agreeing too much tonight. Maybe it's because of the W, need more dis- disagreement and arguing. I didn't get that, Phil, at the Thanksgiving uh, table last week. Gee, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, no, dude, we, we I think, I think we all were Should feeling it a little bit. Thread. Oh, <laughs> man, yeah. yeah the the amount of times you got to take a mute and just step away from it because we were getting angry. I, I'm, I'm excited to spend this night with my boys and just – I don't want to fight tonight. I want to have fun. Uh, Boys, let's do this one. Let's do one completely off the rails, not about the game, not about the current state of the Bears before we're going to go to the outhouse and the penthouse. I've been thinking about this one a lot. Found out today, yet again, Devin Hester is a semifinalist for the Hall of Fame. So, and and I worded this one fairly specifically, Devin Hester will be enshrined into the Hall of Fame, not necessarily saying this year, but he will be enshrined in the Hall of Fame, true or false. Let's reverse the order for this one. So let's go Brendan Shagru, Patrick Sheldon, Jack Wright, and I will finish it up. So Devin Hester, let's hear it. 
True. Get your pom-poms ready, friends, because Devin Hester is going to the Hall of Fame in 2026 or 27. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of guys coming up. Um, you know, some of the names on that list, Julius Peppers, Antonio Gates, I think both of them, definitely Julius Peppers. Uh, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And there's a logjam of guys that still need to get in. But the more we get away from the kickoff returns, like this is the first year now that you can call fair catches uh, outside of the end zone. The kickoff return continues to just go away. And each year we're going to get more away from that. And Devin Hester is going to become more of a relic. And he's going to be celebrated more because it's just not going to happen. Like Cordero Patterson last year uh, set the record for most kickoff returns. We know what Tevin Hester can do uh, punt return wise too, but there's just the game is changing. And I think with that, it's going to make him more of a, of a commodity to get in there. Um, You know, and trusting, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, my guy, Jack Silverstein. He does basically this like pro football, like this, I don't want to call it fake, but this um, just, fantasy pro football hall of fame committee that he and a bunch of guys do. And uh, they basically dissect and debate who should get in the hall of fame. And he's, he's told me that it's probably going to be like a few more years for Devin Hester based on just kind of the arguments and the other guys coming in. Uh, But it is going to happen. And I'm going to be very excited when it does because he deserves it. Yeah. I'm going to say true. Um, I I think he should be in already. So I'm going to say true. I worry though, Brendan, that, the fact that we're getting further away from kickoffs may, may work against him. I hope you're right. But you know, like the flip side of that coin is it becomes, you know, further from their mind and they go, uh, they don't, they're not as relevant anymore. Um, so I, I worry a little bit that that will work against them. And I, I hope he gets in because, um, when you're the best at a position in the sport and you, you changed the game for the time that you were in the sport. I I think you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. You were the best at what you did. Nobody did it any better. You changed the 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 course of of the game while you were there. Um, like that to me is worth being celebrated as one of the best. I'm gonna say false, not because he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I can't offer a rebuttal to either of your arguments. In fact, I agree with them. I just think that the NFL is either they're either they're either getting things really, really right or they're getting things really, really wrong. And there's no in between. Uh, they're really good at being relevant in the off season. They've got a super exciting product that's you know one of the best selling you know, franchises uh, in in all of the nation, and now it's going global. There's a lot they get right. Um, they don't get right the broadcasting boost. They don't. They constantly get wrong. The catch rule is like changing all the time and it's stupid and dumb. And I said before, it's not sexy for Esther to be in the hall of fame. And I think they want exciting. I think they want sexy. And I think that if they're not going to get that, um, then what we're looking at here is a bears bias because he is all those things you said he is shells. And like I said, I agree with you, but I don't know. I just think that they either get things wrong or they get things right. And I think they're going to get this one wrong, unfortunately. I'm wearing my Devin Hester t-shirt today. It's going to happen. I'm sending him good vibes. On the day that Brian Erlacher found out that he was inducted, I tweeted at him. He liked my tweet. I just got, I got a feeling, baby. I know Brendan made all the logical reasons as to why it's not going to happen this time around. 
I don't know. I'm just going to be meatball about this one. Devin Hester's in, baby. He's in, baby. All right, boys, it is time for us to go to the outhouse and the penthouse. Now, the outhouse and the penthouse is brought to you by our guy, Jeff Cadwallader. You're thinking about buying or selling. You want to get into some commercial properties. Jeff is your guy. Talk to him, call him, text him, hop on his website. Let him know that the guys at the Bear Down Chicago podcast have said hello. I'm telling you, if you are thinking about it, just thinking about it, give him a text, 630-254-4734. Visit GenevaJeff.com. Jeff Cadwalder with SVN Landmark Realty. He is the absolute best. You know what? Just, just text him and be like, hey, how are you? Right, and he will find a way to get you a cool house or commercial property. He is the absolute and utter best. All right, so boys, um, bringing it back to the game just a little bit. So Bears win, penthouse first. All right, let's go, Jack Shells, Brendan. It is time for the penthouse. Let's hear it, Jack. Wow, we're like spoiled for riches this week, guys. Like, where do you even start? This is tough. I almost wanted to go last. So like there'd be like a process of elimination. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with the penthouse is four INTs. Four I. That was a great stat that you brought up earlier, Brandon. Thank you for that. I was, wow, since 85. I mean, we lamented the fact that- Oh, six. Been, what's that? Oh, six. Sorry. Thank you. Um, oh, that's Super Bowl. Sorry. Um, still amazing. It's my Super Bowl. Oh, your sad Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Yeah. Wah, wah. Sorry, you guys didn't get a championship in your lifetime 38 years ago. Okay. Four interceptions. We lamented the fact that there were so few um, turnovers being forced by the defense early in the year. So you've got Jalen Johnson, TJ Edwards, um, Jaquan Brisker, and Kyler Gordon, all with interceptions. That was pretty freaking cool. That was exciting. And my uh, penthouse is the four INTs. Bear down, baby. Shout out to uh, Saif Khan who snipped this video. Um, I'm going Cairo Santos. And not because he put up all the points for the Bears and was ultimately responsible for the win, but because of his post-game dance moves. This is sick. This is unbelievable. The guy's amazing. Can you guys see that? The glare. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the glare's coming off the TV. Yeah. That gritty. The, like the, the gritty unbelievable. Stinky yeah. leg. What's he doing there? That's the Charleston? Like, he is the first guy out on the dance floor at weddings, even though nobody else is dancing, and he doesn't give a you-know-what. He's awesome. Uh, Kyra Santos has been unbelievable for this team. Like, I, I, I sometimes when things get dark – and I go places I don't want to go. I think about what it would be like to have him instead of Cody Parkey. Um, and uh, yeah, that makes me really sad. But uh, my 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 penthouse is going to uh, Cairo Santos. So I tweeted out on Sunday after Justin Tucker misses field goal uh, in the Chargers Ravens game that Cairo Santos actually has a higher field goal percentage the last two years, I think it's going back to like three years or since uh, he came back in 2020. So Santos has been awesome. And then of course he misses the first field goal and everybody's coming after me. Like I jinxed them. So you know what, Dangle, you, uh, you got off the hook cause uh, people were mad. <laughs> 
So it was it was not good. But I love me love me some Cryo Santos. Uh, my guess what I'm putting in the penthouse, fellas. I'm putting the hits principle in the penthouse. Let's go. Yes. Hustle. This Bears defense was getting after guys, getting after you. What that stank off that face, Dangle. The Bears defense was hustling to the ball. They were getting after it. Like every time that a ball was completed, when it was completed, you just saw a defender uh, crashing in, whether it's somebody like Jalen Johnson, Kyler Gordon, TJ Edwards. Uh, Terrell Smith, uh, everybody just kind of played with that same hustle and intensity. I, I look this this team was intense. Like they they bullied them from the opening, um, really the opening defensive snap, but I'll say even the offensive snap. Uh, the first quarter stats showed that the Bears just dominated the time of possession. Uh, they held onto the ball. They had 35 minutes of time of possession. They didn't take care of it as much as they should have, uh, mainly you, Justin Fields. But still, they went after the ball. They took care of the ball. They held on to the ball for the most part. Uh, I, I think that's pretty good, and they played smart. I thought Matt Eberflus played a much better – called a much better game. I think for the most part, the guys played a much smarter game. Yes, the penalties got a little out of hand at times. I think some of them are BS, though, like the Kyler Gordon stuff. What, do, what are we doing? I mean, the face back, that should not have been called, and then they doubled down on it. Uh, just some of those penalties, I just I don't think they were penalties. But, yeah, I think the hits principle for once finally worked. So put that thing for some reason in the penthouse because it, it deserves it for at least this one week. DJ Moore. Dudes already have 1,000 yards. You, it's, it's Brandon Marshall, right? Or maybe Alshon Jeffrey is the last time people – had a legitimate fear of a Bears receiver. Dude, dude is, is is spectacular. So had 11 receptions, 114 yards, just continues to, to do it. And then and to get that catch to set up the game-winning field goal, dude, DJ Moore was worth everything that they, they spent to get him here. All right, boys, exact same order. Let's go to the outhouse. I mean, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I, I can't watch Gill drop punts, you know, on the three, on the two, on the one yard line and, and continue to just see them skip into the end zone. I'm watching, you know, they're talking about the, uh, the you know, the Iowa punter, YGK. I'm watching Michigan's punter. These guys are, are dropping darts inside the five in college. W- what's going on, Trent Gill? Like, all you do is practice punts all day. And I know this for a fact. I've been around it coaching and playing. So part of your job, like on a daily basis, is to work on dead punts inside the 20. <laughs> and I'm like, and then to walk off. He walks off the field and they like focus mm. on his stupid, stolen, vacuous face. Um, I mean, I know we're talking about kickers a lot tonight, but it, it is so crucial for field position that we get a punter that can freaking stick it in a coffin corner or inside the 10. It's just weird to me that he gets away with, I don't know who else you're going to go to at this point, obviously, but uh, it's just like clockwork. Oh, we're going to punt. He's punting from the 50 skips from the two goes into the end zone. You know, we lose a field position battle. Once again, I just, man, for somebody that we drafted is so incredibly disappointed that he is as ineffective as he is. I love that like Jack's watched 
Eberflus put a shit product out there for two years, but Trenton Gill's inability to down and inside the tennis would get some going. Um, I don't get it, but you know, Hey, uh, <laughs> my, you alluded to it, Brendan, but my outhouse is NFL officiating. Uh, I saw the, the Gordon play, um, the whole thing, the whole video, uh, just tonight. It's awful. Like it was bad watching the, the TV copy. And, uh, then I saw like what happened. Powell appears to have thrown multiple punches at Gordon uh, out of bounds, and they didn't call anything on that. They they just completely overlooked that and then called on Sportsman like for taunting on Gordon. Just absolutely ridiculous uh, that they couldn't come together and 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 get that right. Like I thought there was a pause in the game, and I was like, oh okay the refs are going to pull their heads out of their ass and they're going to make this right. And then they went, Oh no, that's his first taunting penalty of the game. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, but I tweeted out the video I re- or I retweeted out the video. Uh, you can watch the full thing. Like it's clear as day that the pal kid throws like two or three punches at, at Gordon's head as he's bent over uh, after he rips off the face mask. That was just that that's crap. NFL officiating um, son. This, this week has been awful. Like the, I know it's a Bears podcast, but the Chargers game, holy cow. Those were some of the the two of the worst calls I've ever seen go against the Chargers in, in like the first quarter. Um, and then the the Allen play where they they horse collar him and ripped his jersey and uh they called intentional grounding off of that. Just NFL officiating has been like dog water uh this season. The video you're referring to is just cinema. It is the best thing. Like the different angles of Kyler Gordon just holding up his helmet. Like, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) And then the audacity to call a taunting penalty Mm -hmm. for just showing that his face mask was ripped off. Um, I'll give you more ammo too, Shells. The Jervon Dexter sack, that was a penalty should not have been. Like, what is he supposed to do? Just supposed to let up on the guy? I mean, he's just a big MFer who's uh, just barreling down on you. Or the missed helmet to helmet hit on fields. That too. Oh my. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. that was another one too. Um, oh, what was I going to do? I to- totally got sidetracked. Uh, my outhouse is Darnell Mooney's usage. Uh, it's I look Darnell Mooney, I think is a pretty good wide receiver. He's obviously not a one. He may, you know, I think he's an, an okay two. But he just does not have a role in this offense anymore, and it's really sad to see. Um, there was a report by our guy Mark Silverman who uh, said that Mooney's had private conversations with the team management about his role going forward, and he just he's frustrated with just the lack of production. He had three targets, two receptions for six yards. I mean, he's on pace for career lows. He just does not fit in this offense. It's crazy to me, especially considering how tight he and Fields were going into – the last couple of years and he was getting going last year after a slow start. You thought, especially after chase Claypool got moved that Mooney was going to have more of a role, but it's just not there. And I think it really sucks because he's an element that he does add something to an offense. Um, it's become the DJ Moore show. And I understand he's your number one wide receiver, but you have a, you should have a role for somebody like Darnell Mooney. And I just think it's sad that that's not the case. I can't believe nobody else took this one. Penalties. In the first half, they had 71 yards of penalties. Now, to their credit, 
at the end of the game, they only had 76 yards of penalties, right? So in the second half to only be penalized one time, like good for you guys, clean it up. But 76 yards of penalties, just bad. Bad, 30 of those shouldn't have happened. That's still not good. Like they just, they, now I I get it. The officiating wasn't great. Like I do understand that. And I, and I do, but, but like they looked undisciplined right now. Again, I got to give credit where credit is due. Cause I think Fluce and crew have been abysmal in the second half. They turned things around ish, but just there, it's just every, every drive was killed by stupid, stupid penalties. And I just, I'm sick of watching that happened. Fluce was so good at it last season. He's terrible at it this season. Hits with a pH. The P being penalties. PH. Fat with a PH. Hits with a PH. PH ITS. Yeah. Penalties. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hustle. Like bad meaning not bad being bad, but bad meaning good. good. Like that yeah. type of yeah. That's right. It's the new instead of shits. It's fits. I like it. Yeah. Shits. That's revolutionary. <laughs> was <laughs> it time to get to anything that we missed anything that we missed uh let's go jack shells and brendan anything that we missed boys yeah i guess at the uh risk of extending the show another hour uh, i'm just gonna say i completely disagree with shells uh, on every level uh, when it comes to matt Eberflus. Uh, i don't think this uh staff is just looking to eke out games to like finish out the rest of their season. Um, I know if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a really good Christmas. But you think about if the Detroit um, game comes out in a victory, there's a completely different narrative about this team, and there's a completely different narrative about their coach. Um, Matt Eberflus knows football. Uh, I listened to his post-game press conference. I listened to his presser today. Um, his team believes in him. His players believe in him. Uh, he's not lost a single single player on that team. Uh, there's been uh, an uptick uh, in the performance of a number of guys, TJ Edwards, uh, Sweat has been great, Brisker, mm-hmm. Gordon, Sanborn, Javon Dexter, uh, Darnell Wright, um, Jones. Uh, these players have all progressed and gotten better, and they've developed. Um, the, the team is on an upward trend. Um, now, he may not be the head coach that we hoped he would be, and I understand that, and I'm still not suggesting that he be retained, but uh, he's not an unmitigated disaster. He does know football. He is uh, a guy who knows how to coach football players. Those football players are are loyal to him. Um, the games that are remaining are winnable, except for maybe maybe Cleveland. They've won four games. I had them at eight wins. If they win six or seven or eight games, that's marked improvement. I don't like the penalties, as you guys mentioned. There are other features of this team that I will obviously say have not improved. I agree with you on Luke Getze's shells. He should oversee that, and he should be down in that room, and he should be more involved in that process and be a more holistic type of head coach. But there's this idea that like he's an idiot, that he's, that he's stupid, that, that he can't coach. Um, like These types of things, I, I just couldn't disagree more when it comes to uh, the way that Matt Eberflus has conducted himself, the way that this defense has improved, they went on the road and they won a game in Minnesota. They finished a game. But, like, people lost their freaking minds last week in Detroit when they didn't finish a game. They went on the road, they went to Minnesota, and they finished a game. In his post game, he talked about how they worked in practice on finishing games. 
They implemented it into practice. And then he credited his team with finishing the game and then said, hey, let's give a game ball to everybody on the team for finishing the game because they want it. I don't – like I just – I don't understand. Did it, did it take – What's it took a week to delve of his second year to figure out you need to work on finishing games or what? He's probably been trying to do this all yeah. along, Charles. Like everything you said, Jack, has been talking about his prowess as a defensive coordinator, defensive mind. I'm not arguing with that. But like it, to, to he, some people, there are a lot of people that are great football minds that know a lot about football that aren't suitable to be head coaches. Matt Eberflus is one of those guys. He's going to be like, allowed the opportunity to grow into it, like whether you grow, like it or not. Like man. Jack, at what point? <laughs> at what point does he have to take responsibility for the dog shit offensive product on the field that he refuses to go down and do anything about? Like, wh- he's the man in charge. The buck stops with him. So I, I'm not just going to disclaim all responsibility of his for the offense and how awful it's been because that's his responsibility too. And if he doesn't like the product on the field, if he doesn't like the performance of Luke Getze, then damn it, go do something about it. Don't sit there and act like, well, I'm just the defensive coordinator and I'm the head coach and I'm going to delegate to my guy. No, like that's your responsibility too. You own it all. If you want to be a head coach, you own it all. You can't parse it out and say, well, I'm the head coach, but I'm really good at calling the defense because there's a lot more to that job than just calling the defense. And he has not done it in two years. They scored 12 offensive effing points against the Vikings who didn't have their starting quarterback and didn't have their number one wide receiver and were gifted four turnovers. If that's not enough for him to go down to Luke Getzey's office and wring that turd by his neck and go fix this immediately, or I'm going to put somebody else in who can, then, then what is, when will it get to the point where Matt Eberflus holds himself and the offensive coordinator accountable instead of getting up at the podium every week and saying, what a great job I did at the end of the game against Carolina. And what a great job I did at the end of the game against new Orleans. Well, Matt, what what do you need to fix about this team? What does the offense need to fix about this team? When does it get to the point where he needs to be held accountable and hold uh, his offensive coordinator accountable, the way he holds his players accountable in the off in the press conferences, the way Luke Getze goes in there and backstabs Justin Fields and talks about, well, you know, he probably should have thrown it to DJ Moore, but I liked it except uh, his footwork was sloppy. Like, what a douchebag. What an absolute douchebag. Hold yourselves accountable. This is where I break with you, man. Like, like you you can – all those points that you made are legitimate about being a a holistic head coach, but then you start saying he's a douchebag or he's an idiot or he's, like, worthless or unmitigated – disaster or needs to be fired into the sun. Those are things you said. That's just yeah. not true, man. He does. I've he does not need to be the head coach of this team. Shit coaches who have no competency whatsoever. And that's, this is not, that's not fluce. It's just not him. He said after, after the, Detroit as a head coach, season, Jack. we didn't finish. We didn't what has he done confidently as a head no, no, no. coach? He said, not we, a didn't defensive coordinator. Players. we didn't finish as coaches. We didn't finish the game. That's what he said verbatim after Detroit. That's what what he has said. he done competently as a head coach? Not a defensive coordinator. What has he done competently as a head coach? He's the head coach and he's the defensive coordinator simultaneously. He's not his fault because he hired defensive coordinator and got fired for improprieties. Like uh, that, you're not. That, oh, he's, he's to that's that's a credit to polls. All the very except calling the defense. Apparently, this is insane. It's insane. <laughs> I understand that he's not winning football games. I understand that he's not the head coach that you would hope that you would be. But he is not. 
like completely incompetent. And that's what you continually say that he is. And he's he not. Is. His defensive no, coordinator not. got fired. His offensive coordinator is terrible. He's got the, the worst record of any Bears coach in history. Number one in yush, rush yards per game. Number two in yards per rush. Number Great. Five Nobody's in arguing rush his, defensive head, his defensive coordinator. Yeah, 15th, he's a defensive overall. Coordinator. 15th overall. He's schemed a, a plan, coordinator somewhere. plan to beat Detroit. He were they were in the game with Detroit. He does he get only credit for the last three to four minutes, or does he get credit for the all all of the game? Does he get credit for the Minnesota win? Does he get credit for finishing the game in Minnesota? What the fuck frick does he get credit for? None of it, or we just pick and choose and say he's shit because he doesn't do this. Like it's it's not all or nothing. It's a nuanced freaking thing. Coaching is minutia. And he's not just all awful or all good because he's not doing what you think he should do with the offense. Your point is correct about the offense. Absolutely. But the guy has shown competency in a number of different ways and shapes and forms as a coach. And that's as a defensive coordinator. As a defense, I'll give you that. I'll give you as a defensive coordinator. He's not a head coach, Jack. I'm sorry. You can talk about nuance all you want. He's not a head coach. He's going to be your head coach. They're going to have I, better players, and they're going to start winning. And then I'll, I'll I will say, I will say, and look, I'm not in Hallis Hall. A lot of reporters have said he has not, and this is like a glow bar, okay? But he has not lost the team. These guys, you know, whether you want to like, you know, look at a a video clip or something, you know, read into that. That's fine. But people have said they're still buying in. They're still, you know in this process with him, I do. I understand where both you, both of you are coming from. Jack is saying like, this is nuanced. It's not all or nothing because it just, it does feel like we always go to, if things are wrong, it's always the coaching. It's always the coach's fault. And I understand his, his frustration there. Eberflus does a lot of stuff wrong. He really does. Okay. He's not a good head coach. He's getting better. He's, going from the like six feet under to now three feet under he is improving is it enough improvement in you know let's say almost two years i don't think so but you cannot deny that at least things are getting better in uh, quite a few areas but i do i do bristle at like the people who just say like fire so-and-so into the sun fire everybody because it is just it is very lazy and it does kind of start to wear on me too because I've and I know I'm not as old as you guys, but I'm even just sick of it going back as far as I've been being a fan and then starting to cover the team to just see that every couple of years it's it is so annoying. So I understand where Jack's coming from in that sense, but at the same time, he's not very good. He's still not very good. He's getting he's improving by the the smallest margins, it feels like, as an overall head coach. As a defensive coordinator, much, much better. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Brendan. In an ideal world, I would love to have continuity and the same coaches year after year. But I don't also don't want to stick with a coach just for the sake of continuity when Thank when you. it's clear to me that he's not the guy. Just like I don't want to stick with a quarterback just for continuity if he's clearly not the guy. I don't want to stick with the general manager just for continuity's sake if he's clearly not the guy. Like the Bears just need to make the correct decisions. It's not about we've we fire too many people. It's about they don't make the right hires. Like that's the root cause of all this. It's not. And the fix isn't keep a guy who was the wrong hire to begin with. Now that you know, he was the wrong hire to begin with. It's go find the right guy. I Jack, I, 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 I see your passion and I, and I get it, 
But I also think like Lovey Smith was a phenomenal defensive minded head coach. And there were certain things that he did really, really well, but he never got the offensive coordinator position, right? Are we going to continually play this game where, where you sure you got really good defense, but you can never have a good offense. That's going to get it done. I mean, I, I, you guys know I don't like Matt Eberflus. I think he's been an exceptional defensive coordinator, especially over these last few weeks, and I gave credit where credit is due. But his continuing, continual taking players off the field when they're your best guys, I think that's that's bad head coaching. His mismanagement of clocks, timeouts, challenges, like that's bad head coaching. The fact that he hasn't fired Luke Getze, and I, I – I, and I, I do get the fire everybody to the sun. No, no, no. Like Luke Getzey needs to be relieved of his job, right? After a game like this, like you've got to give somebody else a shot. He's not the guy. It's clear that he's not the guy. Your, your, your offensive players are not developing the same way that your defensive players are developing. It's time to give somebody else a shot. He's not doing that. I, I, I get the whole locker room thing, but he's also like, I don't know that they're where they're at in penalties, but it's bad. It's really, really bad. That reflects poorly on your head coach like jack i i get it it's fun to watch good defense but i i this guy isn't a good head coach he's a really good and and i i'll I'll say this i was wrong about this i thought he was a mediocre defensive coordinator i think he's an exceptional defensive coordinator over the last few weeks he's not a head coach he shouldn't be a head coach if I could find a way to keep this guy as a defensive coordinator, but the new staff won't want that, right? And and to keep him on staff and to keep him running this defense, I think that would be phenomenal. But I don't want this guy long term because I just I just see this going around in a circle where he wants more high quality defensive players, and we're still trying to find a team that can score some freaking points. I don't want to watch that football. I don't think that's a football that's gonna that's gonna win and, games. And here's the other thing: point. the only thing that I think is different about this version of the Bears is Ryan Poles and the strategy that's being taken to completely revamp this franchise. For the first time in our lifetime, we have an instance in which, as I've said before, it's being torn down to the studs and then being rebuilt. I think mostly the the right way. He's had some misses, as we we have admitted, but I think the key difference in this particular version of the Bears is that we're not accounting for, in that discussion that you just had, last year is a scrapped year, uh, and what is the continuing and ongoing rebuild, as I've said before. First year of on-the-field rebuilding this year, uh, another off-season of drafting and and, uh, free agency, and and then continual improvement. Again, I'm still not saying that he should be retained or that he should continue to be the head coach going forward. I am not supporting him, giving him like full credit. All the points you made, Ryan, excellent points about his deficiencies. Can't argue with any of those. I'm simply saying that we saw Matt Nagy be bad, really bad, lose the locker room, not be able to function even on the offensive side of the ball, plus not be a head coach holistically for the entire group. Right? Like, there really wasn't a whole lot when it was down to the end of it that he we could say like that he was good at. Um, but I think my, my point is that there are things that we can point to with this particular coach and say, not only is he good at, he's like at the level almost of elite. He showed it in, with the Colts and now he's, he's shown it with the Bears. And I would love it. I would love it if he could become a better head coach. And maybe even if he was given the opportunity to become a, a better head coach, because firing head coaches just hasn't been the answer for us. Because if your point, Shells, we just don't do a very good job of hiring, you know, head coaches going forward. So 
I guess I just want to see it all be different than what we've seen in the past. Cause like you, Ryan, I don't want to see great defense, no offense. I don't think that's what polls has in mind. I don't think that's what Flus has in mind. I don't think that's what the bears players have in mind. I think this is a juncture. We're at a watershed moment with the bears in my opinion. Yeah. I, I know we've said a lot like, you know, uh, well, it's the players, the players didn't execute or the players weren't in position to execute Again, like at the end of the day, whose job is it to make sure his players execute or are in a position to execute? And if they don't, then what are we saying? That Ryan Poles didn't get him players that can execute? Like, I feel like we're, we talk about this rebuild as if the Bears are like the least talented roster in football. They've got a lot of components. They've got a lot of pieces. I mean, hell, I think they're probably just a center away from having a pretty darn good offensive line. They got one of the best wide receivers in, in, in the game. They got your boy Komet, who you guys tout as one of the best tight ends in the game. They've got a solid running back room with Herbert and and Roshan. Like, let's stop talking about this team as if Flus is working with like the sisters of the poor. He's got talent. We need to see more improvement from this team based on the talent they have. And we haven't seen it in two years. I mean, my God, 12 freaking points getting gifted four turnovers. 12 points, guys. That's like impossible to do. You almost, you have to try to not score points to do that. It's remarkable how futile this offensive has been this year. And he has done nothing about it as the head coach who's ultimately responsible. And it, it falls at his feet. And if he doesn't want to do anything about it, then he's going to eat the big crap sandwich at the end of the season when he gets fired. But how he has not taken accountability and done something about the offense is mind boggling to me. Mind boggling. Again, even the Steelers, uh, Matt said it that they haven't fired like a coordinator in how many years. And, and would it <laughs> even even Tomlin recognized like it's time something has to change? Guy's got more job security than he knows what to do with. He wouldn't. Tomlin was probably never going to get fired, right? And he still recognized I got to make a change. Like what is Eberflus waiting for? He does not have the kind of job security of a Bill Belichick or a Mike Tomlin. I mean, it did take Tomlin. It took Tomlin like three over three years to do it. But I I get what you're saying. Like he finally actually did it. But he's got that. He's got that luxury. He can wait three years because he knows his job's not like hanging in the balance at the end of the season. So he can he can afford to wait and let it play out. Matt Eberflus doesn't have that luxury. Sean McDermott firing. um, Oh my God, Ken Dorsey. Dorsey. Do you you know what I mean? Like this this guy isn't it. He's not working. You know, I like. Jack, like, I really believe me. I really do understand you're like, no one wants the coaching carousel, but also like, if you're not the guy, like, I don't know that I have, I don't, you know, if it's going to take Matt Eberflus four or five years to develop as, as a, as a competent head coach, I don't want to wait around that long. Like when there might be uh, a, somebody else out there with the potential at least to do it much, much more quickly. Uh, the, the Bengals head coach. I don't Zach Stacy. Zach, Zach, Zach Taylor. Like, oh, not Zach, Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> Zach Taylor, right? Like just coming in as a, as that fresh mind and and like in his first season, like really just like jump started things in a way that like no one I mean Okay, sorry. No, oh, no, he did not. He sucked. <laughs> he got I, carried I, I by Burrow. D'Amico, yeah. D'Amico Ryan's. Antonio Pierce is interim right. head coach yeah. of the Raiders is, as you know, I mean, like it, it's, sh- I don't know. I agree with you, Ryan. It shouldn't take five or six years for a head coach to gain their, their footing and figure out you need to finish games. 
the one thing I don't agree with is I think it's this, this like circular argument about, you know, like the idea that like, here, here's the thing. I think the coaching staff uh, imp, like implements fundamentals uh, during the course of the week. And then I think there's a reasonable expectation that you watch those players then execute those fundamentals. They, they have a game plan that they put in throughout the course of the week. They scout, they watch film. They're like, okay, we're in this set They're in the, like, They expect the players on the field to go ahead and execute that specific game plan. And when those players don't, right, then there's, there's a shared responsibility. There's a shared responsibility for those, for, for your captain free safety to, to, to execute the game plan and not be a liability. What it, but I guess maybe flu should bench Eddie Jackson and I would fault him for that, you know, D- you know, Detroit game and, and this game. And maybe in that case, then I would be like fully support. You're right. Shells. He should bench Eddie Jackson, Eddie Jackson and, and should sit right next to Cody white here because the way in which Eddie Jackson plays the game is despicable and cowardly. Um, you know, but I, but I do think there's a certain expectation that when you implement a game plan and you teach fundamentals, that those professionals who are getting paid a lot of money do those things that they're supposed to do. And in the Detroit game, yes, the Bears took the foot off the gas, but watch the All-22 and watch some of the specific plays. The players also let the Bears down. It's a shared responsibility. They let the Bears down just as much as the staff did. And that's a fact. Like, that is undeniable. Yeah, but if you're if you're – players are consistently failing to execute your scheme. And I'm speaking specifically about the offense. Cause again, I'm, I'm giving him credit for the defense, but if your players are consistently failing to execute the offensive scheme, maybe it's your scheme. Maybe your scheme sucks, right? Like I, I can't just accept this. Oh, it's just the, it's the players like, right? Like how do we account for the offensive being so good and so explosive and productive at times? It really is an anomaly, isn't it? Because, or we just... because I don't think that's who they are at their core. I don't think that's yeah. who I don't Those think that's who Getsy is at his core. And you're asking just like just like Getsy's asking Fields to be somebody he isn't. When Getsy's calling those types of plays and running that type of offense, they're asking him to be somebody he's not because that's not what he wants to run. That's not his thing, right? Yeah. Just like yeah. Matt Nagy didn't want to do it. For, yeah. for Fields either. Like he wanted Fields to run his offense. Um, coaches are arrogant. They just, a lot of them are. They believe they believe in their system and they believe in their abilities and they believe that they can get the best out of these players and that their princi- their hits principle or whatever shtick they have is it, right? And they they think they can do it. And they're not willing to admit like, it's it's my scheme that sucks, not this player. And I don't think that's who Getsy is at his core. And that's what I'm saying. Like, then that needs to be fixed. If Getsy can't fix it, then they got to get somebody in there who can. And and that's fair. His inability and failure and reluctance to address the offensive side of the ball and how it's been called from the very first game of the season is unacceptable to me. And how they came out in against Green Bay that very first game, just completely unprepared. I mean that. That that puts such a sour taste in my mouth for the rest of the season. It just that was inexcusable to me, man. It was it was it was brutal. Brendan, do you have any last nuggets for us? Because we've gone on for quite a while um, on this one. Brendan, anything else you want to throw at us? I mean, I've got some you know unique stats from the game. I will say, um, I believe DJ Moore 
And this kind of ties into the coaching conversation too. So this works. DJ Moore is um, the most 100 yard games in his first 12 games as a bear. I believe since Brandon Marshall back in 2012, he's also just over 500 yards away from breaking or matching uh, Brandon Marshall's single season record of 1500 yards. He's got five games to do it. Um, I was going to ask you guys, do you think he can do it? Uh, but before I do, I will mention that 2012 offense. I've talked with players about that, um, that play does that playbook from Mike Tice. I mean, that offense was explosive at times because you had playmakers who, despite bad play calling and bad schemes, were able to ball out. I think we're seeing that this time too, with guys like DJ Moore, they're, uh, succeeding in spite of the offense and I was kind of worried about that where just one guy is able to do everything but everybody else can't can't do anything um so I think it's just very interesting so yeah I'm I'm very excited about what DJ Moore's doing doing he hit over a thousand yards after this game do you guys think he can eclipse Brandon Marshall's uh record of 1508 yards in a season Justin's gonna get him the ball no question about that I mean, they 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 want to get him the ball as much as they possibly can. He's, he's five hundred with four games left. Five hundred with five games five. left. I mean, I mean, it, I, th- I would guess I would say it's possible. Um, my guess is going to get held to like seventy or eighty or lower in a game. So then he's going to have to need, he's going to need to have one of those explosive games. Uh, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. No, I say no. Oh, I yeah, prob- yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else, boys? Anything else so we can get to shout outs and get out of here? And I can go to bed. Uh, Roshan overtook Khalil Herbert, it seems like that's interesting as RB1. Mm-hmm. I, Khalil has a better yard per carry still at this point. I, I get, I think Roshan runs hard and I think he is, he's a, he's a physical runner. I don't understand the lack of carries for Khalil Herbert. I just don't get it. I think the more carries that get, that he gets, the better he is. I think he's an explosive runner. Um, he's got good cuts. I, I just feel like they keep trying to put him on the back burn. Maybe, he's, maybe he's still not healthy. But I, I just, I don't get that one. I like Roshan, but I want more Khalil Herbert in my life. Terrell Smith led the team in tackles with eight. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah that was a nice revelation. Yeah. He looked good. Hey, what, can nobody answer my my uh, text, guys? Why would Eberflus not decline that penalty at the end of the game on the delay game, the punt? Why give your punter from a strategy reason? What's the benefit of giving the opposing punter more room? Is there just, one? I, I why why challenge make the the challenge that he had? Like I just there's yeah, it was a bad challenge. I get like I wouldn't. I don't agree with it. Heat of the moment, like he screwed up. It was a bad challenge, but like that delay of game seems pretty. You decline that and force them to work with less field to pin. Like it just didn't make sense to me. I, I, again, great defensive coordinator. I don't think he's a great head coach. Let's, let's not, let's, we're, we're moving on. We, we got to get out of here. Round two, let's go. Let's okay. Go. Okay. Let's go. Oh, <laughs> this is by far the longest episode of nah. my life. Uh, so <laughs> let's do shout outs. Uh, Jack, Shells, Brendan, and I'll finish it up. Shout outs, boys. Uh, to, um, to Scott, who is, uh, Scott bear 85, uh, that's with two T's. Uh, when I listed my, you know, foundational players with the, the tiers, uh, he challenged one of the, uh, placements that I had, um, and, you know, I just kind of checked him out and, and added him, added him as a, a, a follow and then a follow back from him. 
And he was like, well, you know, that's that's interesting, you know, for you to I'm not looking for followers, he said, but uh, it's pretty cool that you would add me after I criticized your list. And I was like, man, that's what I'm here for. You know, I'm here for that kind of discussion. Um, you know, he did it in a respectful way. And um, so I really appreciated that. So um, to Scott out, shout out to Scott Bear 85. Um, it's cool. I got somebody new to talk about uh, football with. Uh, it's always a good day when that happens. That's my only shout out. Uh, I got a few shout outs. Um, I'm, first, I'm going to shout out Jack Wright. Jack, I love you, buddy. I know we get heated. Uh, I know we, we didn't want to argue. and But that's what I love about you and really the whole group um, is that we can get pretty pretty intense in our discussions about the Bears, I think, because we're just so passionate about this team and love it. But um, we know it's not personal. And at the end of the day, uh, we sit here and laugh and, and smile. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to send each other illicit photos um, in our private text thread. So I uh, appreciate it, Jack. Keep those coming and uh, love you, buddy. Uh, my other two shout outs, one goes to Ed D. He's at the big Ed C. Uh, just just a um, guy that I've enjoyed interacting with on Twitter for a while now. Uh, and I haven't shouted him out. I don't believe yet. So I want to get him in some recognition. So go give him a follow. And then my last shout out, uh, I'm going to brag on my son for just a second. I'm so proud of him. Um, he had a, a uh, all-star, all-state tournament uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, represented South Carolina in the, in the 9U division uh, against teams from Georgia and uh, uh, North Carolina. And they won the whole tournament. Uh, they went undefeated. And um, he was selected to go to a, a showcase uh, top 72 prospects tournament down in Florida. Uh, so we'll be going to Florida in January to watch him play uh, against um, some other kids from uh, the top 72 kids from from South Carolina, Georgia, and North Carolina. So uh, he's worked his butt off. Um, a lot of lot of stuff, uh, a lot of adversity he's overcome uh, as a little guy. But um, he's busted his butt and just practiced his rear end off, and I'm so proud of him and how hard he's worked. And uh, he really deserves this. So I'm going to shout out my guy. Uh, love you, buddy, and uh, good luck in Florida. As Matt Eberflus would say, we fought through adversity, right? And we got that win. We played together, right? We executed. Executed, right? Um, Michelle, where, where at in January and when? Uh, at Martin Luther King weekend, Space Coast Complex, uh, Melbourne, Florida. It's at, at the Space Coast Complex. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. There's a chance I might be in Orlando that same weekend. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I did uh, work trip. I don't know. I don't think I'm going, but there's, there's okay. a chance. Keep um, so anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. My shout outs. I uh, got a couple uh, first off the Lewis brothers. Um, they do awesome work just as not only bears reporters, but they are just like so fun on Twitter. <laughs> um, except when they actually, you know, spoil star Wars or Marvel shows, then I have to mute them. But other than that, I love them. Uh, Joe Lewis and Scott Lewis. We had Joe on. Um, it'd be awesome to get Scott on, but both of those guys, I think they tell it like it is. Uh, they're just really fun, engaging. Uh, they'll just, you know, talk with anybody on Twitter. Um, and I just enjoy watching them. I look forward to, uh, I think Joe's the one who does the quarterback rankings or quarterback tiers every week. Um, always the funniest thing out there. So you're probably following them, but please follow them. Please follow them if you don't. Um, somebody who's been uh, really kind of, you know, just a, a really nice person to me on Twitter. I don't know how to say that. Uh, Tyler, the debater. 
Uh, he's just really pumped my stuff uh, with whether it's Bears Wire stuff or even this podcast. Um, and he's been really uh, just a nice person to talk with Bear stuff. Uh, so shout out to him. Um, really appreciate it. And we mentioned him earlier. Uh, I love that interview with Brandon Marshall and Cam Newton, but shout out to Lawrence Holmes. Uh, I found out he followed me the other, like last week. So that was a fun little surprise. And uh, just Lawrence is the best. I, he's always been probably my favorite person at the score. Uh, just, you know, awesome interviewer, awesome person. So uh, just that Cam Newton, Brandon Marshall interview uh, was fantastic to listen to. So if you haven't done it, go check it out on football night in Chicago. Uh, but yeah, shout out to Lawrence. Just, Keep doing what you're doing, man. I, I was literally thinking about this. That might be like, like the my like my ultimate. Like, I would love to have a conversation with that guy. I think part of it too is like I've always been a big fan of his, but talking with both JJ Stankovitz and Cam Ellis, both saying the same thing that Lawrence is an awesome hype man for whoever's with him and talking with him and he sets people up very graciously, man. I would just, Brendan, if you could, man. No, don't. Yeah, I do. Do that. I knew you were do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I've got one and one only this week is to my guy all the way down in Melbourne, Australia. So Andrew Davies, um, unfortunately lost a member of his family just recently and um, know that it was, it was pretty tough on him. And so buddy, I am thinking about you. Um, we're all thinking about you and sending lots of love your way. And no, it is not easy being a bears fan um, when this team can just be so frustrating at times. Uh, but you know, there's things way more important than bears fandom. And so sending lots of love your way, dude, we are thinking about you. For all of us here at the Bear Down Chicago podcast, that's Logan Bradley, Patrick Sheldon, Brendan Chagru, Jack Wright, and me, Ryan Dengel. We're just we're immensely thankful for all of you. And in a in a season that has had so many downs and some ups, um, it's been it's been great to hang out. And we just we do truly truly love talking with all of you. And again, just a phenomenal chat going on. If you're one of our audio only listeners come and check us out on youtube uh we would love to hang out with you and have some interactions uh on here um if you are watching on youtube you want to go back and listen to an old episode or something along those lines you can absolutely do that you can help us out by liking subscribing sharing with a friend try to get the word out for us as best you possibly can because we love doing this and the more people we get to chat with the more fun it is so many screens. Watch it so on many. all of your screens, guys. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy, this guy. Uh, for all of us at Bear Down Chicago Podcast, we want to say thank you so very much. And as always, Bear Down Chicago. 